0: My bag's and on a roll. I'm heading out there, and I'm ready to go. I'm looking real good in my passport photo. Oh, no. Amateur Traveler Episode 359. Today the amateur traveller goes back to the land of kings and queens and high tea as we return to London, England. I've got to Welcome to the Amateur Traveler. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. Before we get into this week's interview, I do have three news stories for you. You may recall last year with the Costa Concordia, which ran aground that caused the lives of some passengers, there was quite a lot of controversy about safety drills and how not all the passengers had been through a safety drill. Well, There was a tragedy this week on a Thompson cruise ship that was docked in the Canary Islands that was doing a safety drill, but it was during that drill that five people were killed. And the tragedy happened when a lifeboat fell from the cruise ship during the drill. On a somewhat lighter note, Kristen Chenoweth got an apology from American Airlines, who she said was being verbally abusive when she tried to board a flight with her emotional support dog, she was accused of not having the right paperwork and charged a cabin pet charge that they later refunded. Apparently, an emotional support dog is a pet that provides therapeutic benefit to the owner through companionship and affection. After an incident like that, you may see Christian Chenoweth traveling with two emotional support dogs. If you're getting a little tired of spending time with people, perhaps here is a deal for you. Scotland is looking for a caretaker to live for eight months a year on an uninhabited Scottish island near Edinburgh. You'll be a caretaker and pay £20,000. You won't completely get away from tourists because tourists will come out to see the ruins of a historic abbey. For links to all three of those stories, check out the show notes at AmateurTraveler.com. And I'd like to welcome back to the show Amber from AmericanTourGuideInLondon.com. Come to talk more about London. Amber, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here.
0: And I say welcome back. Amber was just on the show a month ago, and I scheduled This was entirely my decision. and None of you had a chance to vote for Amber to come back and talk more about London because there really is so much. We only covered a little bit of it last time. I want to start a little bit now with logistics because we didn't get a chance to talk about some of the ways to save money when you come to London, for instance.
1: Okay. Sounds good.
0: Let's start with flights. (laughs) London is actually one of the more expensive places to fly to because of the taxes, especially at Heathrow.
1: Yes, it is. There are some lesser known uh, airports. There's, of course, there's Heathrow, there's Gatwick, there's Luton, there's Stansted, there is a city airport, and then just recently they've opened South End, which is uh, a little further afield on the east of London. It is quite expensive, and the one thing that you always have to consider when you land in London is how to actually get into the city. Right. And logistically, there are several different ways that you can do this the airport terminals that you arrive into normally have a couple of different things that you can choose from. The first one is an express train service. Now, they have a single ticket, and they have a return ticket. And it's an open return, which means that you buy your ticket there, and then when you're ready to return, you can obviously go back. It's a two-way.
0: And we're talking about, like, the Heathrow to Paddington Express.
1: Heathrow to Paddington, or if you're Gatwick, you're going Gatwick to Victoria. And depending on where you buy this, if you buy it online in advance, or you can buy it on the train. You buy it in advance, you can pretty much get a good deal sometimes. But we're talking around 40 to 50 pounds per person, uh, depending on what exactly you're purchasing. Now, that is is something to consider. You can do a slower train. A slower train will take a little bit more time. So if you're at Heathrow, you could, for example, take the tube all the way into town. It's on Mm. the Piccadilly line. If you're in Gatwick, you could take a slower train, which means that it's the same distance. You're just stopping at a few more stops than you would the Gatwick Express, which takes you Zoom straight in. So you're gonna, it's going gonna to pay a little less. And then the, the third option is a uh, bus. You can book different buses. One of my favorites, it's a really affordable one, is Easy Bus. And uh, there's also the National Express which is almost like Greyhound, if you will, equivalent here in the UK. And you can go on their website and book online, and it's really quite reasonable. My husband and I flew over the summer to Spain, and we flew out of Stansted Airport. So when we came back uh, to Stansted, you know, the options were we could take the train into town, and it would cost about £30.00 total for two of us it was very very late at night by the way (laughs) or we could take the bus and i think it cost us about 12 pounds so you could see the difference and at that time of night because of the trains and the connections and everything it was the exact same time frame so it was a 45 minute journey
0: right and definitely we would recommend people to leave enough time especially on your return flight these airports are not right in town
1: No, not at all. Not right in town. And of course, when you arrive at the airport, you want to allow for an hour and a half to two hours to get through security, to check in, that sort of thing. But then an additional time, at least an hour, if not a little bit more in order to to journey to the airport itself.
0: And I'd say that recently I've been flying into Terminal 5 at Heathrow, and I think it has gotten better than it used to be. But it used to be that It could be really slow getting through Heathrow.
1: Yes, they have been priding themselves on making it speedy. And I think because of the Olympics over the summer, they've really ironed out a lot of bugs. So you're not having to spend as much time. And and they've learned from all their mistakes. They've seen what what works well, and they're able to sort of implement that on a regular basis. They don't have the same number of volunteers, but they still get the job done.
0: And then we talked about don't run a car, get around on the tube primarily, or walking, but we didn't talk about how to save money on the tube.
1: Ah, saving money on the tube. My preferential thing is to either do a day pass or a week pass, depending on how long you're going to be here. What we have is the Oyster card, and that Oyster card has one of two options. You can either buy a pass, which would be a day or a week, whatever that may be, or you can buy pay-as-you-go. It really depends on where you're located and what your journey is going to be like. If your hotel is located in the center of town, like in Covent Garden, for example, and you're wanting to sort of hit all the hot spots and and whatnot, you may get by with walking and then perhaps a pay as you go type of thing. But if you're wanting to do a lot of exploring, and let's say your hotel's a little further afield, let's say Canary Wharf out in Kensington, then you may decide, you know what, I'm going to do a day pass. Because that way, you're able to really take advantage of, of the pricing. Now, they do say that if you touch in and you touch out, and you go over the sort of day rate, right, that they cap it and you don't have to pay any more than that. But
0: And when you say touch in and touch out, that is the mechanism by which we present our pass at the tube.
1: Correct. Correct. Your your oyster card has a little chip in it, and there's a machine on the bus or a machine on the tube, and you literally just tap it over there, and it and it opens the doors for you. It's very magical. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you do that. You feel like you have a lot of power. <laughs> and the thing is, is sometimes you just don't remember to touch in or touch out at at a certain station, in particularly. There are times when the gates will be open for whatever reason, and you just go through and you're not thinking. So if you're thinking, I'm going to be doing a lot of travel today, go for the day pass. If you're thinking, now we're going to be doing a lot of walking, I'd say pay as you go.
0: Okay. Your three favorite museums in London?
1: The first one has to be the National Portrait Gallery. I believe I mentioned that last time. You mentioned that one. Mm -hmm. I love the National Portrait Gallery. The British Museum. Okay. Okay. think that the british museum is such a treasure you gotta go see the dead old guy (laughs) and the rosetta stone and the the egyptian mummies
0: the elgin marbles the rosetta stone right Exactly. exactly although my impression of the british museum is that it's got some of the best treasures of a museum in the world but not the best presentation
1: i have to say that on busy days it is quite hard to get around because there's so many people looking at things. Mm-hmm. So you well, might be Well, it's a free museum,
0: too. So everyone yeah. should, even if you just pop in for a little bit, just to see the things you want to see.
1: Yes, definitely. If you've got a game plan and you know what you're looking for. But it's a bit like, sometimes it's a bit like the Louvre, I suppose, where people say that they literally, they buy ticket, they head to the Mona Lisa, they stand there for a few minutes, and then right. they leave. Don't do that. <laughs> Look around. There's other galleries. There's other interesting things there. The Imperial War Museum,
0: Okay. One of the best history museums, I would say there, yeah.
1: Imperial War Museum, for sure. Although, and I have to say, if I had a fourth choice, it would probably be the Britain at War Museum. That's quite exciting, too.
0: Well, let's do the Imperial War Museum. Why did you choose that one?
1: The Imperial War Museum is fantastic. It's really great for all ages. It's great for kids and it's great for older generations. It's it's great for couples. So it really does suit all travelers, which is wonderful. And the information that they have and the way that it's laid out, I haven't been in a little while, so they've they've done a few changes since, but I know that the displays are, are fantastic. The information is wonderful and they do, do a lot of interactive things. I was there one year just before Christmas and they were doing an armistice day of a man dressed in World War One attire doing a one act play, a one man play on the armistice and telling the story of how on Christmas Day the the British troops and the German troops came out of the trenches and played a sang game of Christmas soccer.
0: Carols and played two right. And,
1: sang carols and it, it was just amazing and interactive. 1914 they present war very well
0: <laughs> which is an odd statement taken out of context um, yeah <laughs> and i would say the difference for instance between the british museum and the imperial war museum is if you see something at the british museum it is most likely behind glass and with a paragraph of text labeling it the same way that it would have been 20 30 40 50 years ago Yes. Where the Imperial War Museum, you walk through a trenches that has been recreated in World War One and hear the sound that they would have heard. And so a very more, much more experiential.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And getting right up close to things is always, um, it's, mm-hmm. just, it's just more moving.
0: Yeah. Okay, and then you named a fourth.
1: Ah, the fourth would be the Britain at War Museum. Okay. Now, the great thing about London is, they have all these little quirky museums that, I say quirky, but they, they have these wonderful little museums that are specific to a cause. So for example, if you're a Freemason, there's the, the Freemasons Museum. If you're into money, there's the Bank of England Museum. Mm-hmm. There's the Clockworkers Museum. There's all these little niche museums. So if you have an interest, there's even, if you're interested in marketing and advertising, there's the Museum of Brands, Packaging, and Advertising.
0: Oh, that one I did not know. Okay.
1: There's a wonderful little niche museums all over. But the Britain at War Museum is quite exciting because it taught it looks at Britain at war on the home front. So how people dealt with the gas masks and the air raids and the blitz and the rationing books and how they rationed sugar and what they ate and, and these sorts of things. So it's it's quite a it's quite a fun, uh, interactive and and interesting perspective on war.
0: And- The four museums we've named, we talked about the Portrait Gallery, which is near Trafalgar Square, British Museum a little further north from central London, Imperial War Museum, I want to say is south across the Thames?
1: South across the Thames near Lambeth North Station.
0: Okay. And then Britain at War Museum is?
1: It's literally right down around the corner from London Bridge Station.
0: Okay. And then... There are a number of ones we could have named. So I'd also oh, yeah. like to throw in there the ones that other people who I know would say were their their favorites. So, for instance, a friend who likes period dresses and dolls would say the Victoria and Albert Museum. Uh, for me, the Cabinet War Rooms which is underneath 10 Downing Street, and you see the pins in the maps where Churchill would have been worrying about where the convoy is going to get through was fascinating. And the other Mm -hmm. one we didn't name that I think has to make it onto some people's list would be the Museum of the Tower of London. Uh, Certainly seeing the Crown Jewels, for instance, but also some of the rest of the Tower of London and some of the, uh, the guided tours there by the British soldiers, I think also makes it into a lot of people's top list. Definitely.
1: It's it's hard to to look at that as a museum. I guess I see the more as an attraction, but you're absolutely right. It should definitely be in the uh if we had a list of top ten. We should make a top ten. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Chris
1: Ample Top Ten London Museum list. Not um, to miss.
0: Best day trips from London.
1: Best day trip from London. Top three, right?
0: Sure. Let's do top three.
1: Top three. Number one has to be Hampton Court Palace. Okay. What a fantastic day out. In addition to just, it's a cute little journey on the train, uh, you come in near the river and it's absolutely beautiful. It's astonishing. They, they do living history very well there. And uh, it's wonderful to see that, that palace that has been in use since, since even before uh, Henry VIII. But of course, Henry VIII had a, a strong impression on that and the gardens are amazing. So definitely Hampton Court Palace staying on the castle thing i think windsor castle is yeah. is a definite one to uh to do
0: right it's, near heathrow actually yeah um, right I've, near heathrow i've so. been to windsor on a long layover at heathrow a 7 hour layover we went took on the bus and and went out to uh, windsor
1: my favorite thing to do in Windsor is to, of course, you go to the, the, the castle and everything, but the little village around the castle is so lovely. And there's this wonderful little tea shop, Drury's, I believe it is. And it's it's just great. And they have great scones and it's very affordable. So it's, and even though it's kind of touristy, it's it's not tourist trap prices. So that's nice. So Windsor Windsor Castle, for sure. And you know what if we're gonna stay close I say Greenwich come to Greenwich Greenwich is wonderful we have the National Maritime Museum we have the observatory it's good for kids it's it's just beautiful views of, of the city you have the wonderful maritime history with the observatory up on the hill and you know you can think about it when they say that all of London set their watch to Greenwich because they could look on that hill and they could see the observatory there and they could see when time was happening so it's pretty amazing
0: And of course, you're going to have the obligatory picture of you standing in both hemispheres. But
1: (laughs) yeah, now what's interesting is they have started charging to go into that section.
0: Oh, really? (laughs)
1: Yes, uh, it was March of last year. They started charging to go in to the area where you can stand. It used to be for free. However, the pole or the bar or what have you actually kind of extends beyond that area and down. So you can still do that and and have a a bit of of a picture if you don't want to pay the museum price to go in. I think it's like 10 pounds or something now to do that. It was a bit unfortunate, but still. What's really fun to see, as a matter of fact, I saw it tonight as we were coming home, is in the evening they have a green light that shines on the Prime Meridian line. So you can see that. It's pretty great. And there's tennis courts in the park not far from the observatory. My husband and I play tennis there, and they have also the Prime Meridian going through the tennis court so it's always nice whenever i say no it's out it's so out it's not even in my hemisphere
0: (laughs) (laughs) excellent oh actually one of the other things that we skipped in uh day trips that i think bears a mention is kew gardens
1: oh yes kew gardens kew gardens is is a great day out
0: way way out there on the green line as i recall
1: it is. It's, out, it's way out there. It's worth the journey, though. Uh, it, it's a great fun day out. And interesting, I, I just learned this over the holiday season, between the time between Christmas and New Year, they offer free tickets. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I stumbled upon that this year. So they sort of start advertising them right before Christmas, and you can kind of book, and that way you you have a nice free ticket to get in, which is which is pretty nice. It's it's nice to see a, a Kew Gardens at, at all times of year, not just in the summer when it's when it's all sunny and the flowers are out, because they have different flowers that come out for the autumn and the winter.
0: Well, and as well as having the greenhouses, so that there's always something.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And another good day out is Wimbledon. Wimbledon, okay. even when it's not when they're doing the, the competition, there's the museum and, and there's lots of things to see. So,
0: Well, and we have been there for Wimbledon for the tennis and had a couple friends who are real sports fanatics who they went to the tennis while I think I went to a history museum and really thoroughly enjoyed watching the tennis and sitting there eating their strawberries and clotted cream, I think is the traditional snack yeah. there at Wimbledon. Excellent. Yes,
1: it is. Although I recommend bringing your own.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and that really feeds into best time of the year to come to London.
1: Best time of the year to come to London. If you are wanting to avoid the crowds best thing to do is look up the UK holiday schedule. They have different semesters and terms for their children and and different times, so if you're wanting to avoid children, and and some some couples and and older travelers don't want to be there where the kids are out, then that's a good time to, to check out and see. because You don't want to be here, for example, during the August bank holiday, you might want to come a week or so later in early September, where you'll have similar weather But you won't have the the kid crowds.
0: I avoid all of Europe in August. So (laughs) that's not just a London thing.
1: Exactly. I love September. I think it's a wonderful time. Mm -hmm. I think April and May are fantastic. Hit or miss on weather when it comes to June and July. Sometimes we get great summer and sometimes we get wet summer. This year we had wet summer. We were very fortunate that finally when the Olympics came that the sun came out. (laughs) Very nice. But before that it was just weeks and weeks of wet. They said that it was the wettest summer this year in in decades. So it's kind of hit or miss. And, And the rain is always doable. You can just manage with ponchos and that sort of thing. But I like April. I like May. I love September. I think that December is a magical time. It, Christmas in London is is really like walking through a lot of carols. It's very Dickensian. It's, it's very nice. The chestnuts are roasting, that sort of thing. And at the moment, I'm really enjoying January. We're having a very mild winter.
0: Not that you can count on that, but...
1: We can always count on the weather, <laughs> but it's not fierce cold. Mm-hmm. It's doable cold, and because of all the January sales that we're so famous for, and a lot of things are on sale at the moment, and there's so many deals on on food and drink and and plays and things, so it's like wow, it's a really good time to come to to London if you're a tourist
0: Well in plays leads me to my next question is best night out i'm a tourist, and I'm in town, and I want to enjoy the theater scene or I want to enjoy the music scene. Where do I go? What do I do?
1: All right, you're going to see the essential play. I, I would guess would be Phantom of the Opera. Okay. that is the play to see in London if you're wanting to see a play, a musical. Excuse me, a musical. If you're not into musicals and you still want to see a British play, ooh, the two choices I'd have to give you would either be The Mousetrap because it is the longest the longest running, running play, right? And and it's brilliant. It's wonderful. Or my it, yeah, thing, if you
0: haven't seen it, it really is a wonderful play.
1: Oh, I got Yes. Uh, I think we're into 57 years, 58 years, something like that.
0: I want to say it started in the 40s, so that's better.
1: Yeah, right. yeah. uh, third choice for play would have to be The Woman in Black. Okay. Um, amazing play. Amazing play. So we're going to go for play. Now curtain time is always about 7.30. So you're going to want to have dinner before that. Now, you can get some, some pretty decent decent ideas for pre, pre-theater dinner that's out there. And I would recommend—
0: So I'm, I'm dinner—I'm in Leicester Square area.
1: You are. You're in the Leicester Square, Shaftesbury Avenue area. Do you know what? I would actually recommend going to Chinatown because they just have some— very good. Okay. And it's a it's a different take on on, on London and going out. So I'd, I'd go for Chinatown. I'd have a uh, wonderful Chinese. Or dim sum, if you will. Cheng Cheng Ku, one of my favorites. Go for dim sum, and then the theater at 7:30. You're out by about 9:45, 10 o'clock. And if you're still ready to go, not too far, uh, just near Aldwych, near the Lion King Theater, is one of my favorite bars. It's called Cellar Door, and it's this tiny little place. It's underground, and it used to be a gentleman's public toilet <laughs> many, many years ago. It's not, it doesn't that doesn't. <laughs> Um, but they have fantastic drinks at a really affordable price for London. And I say for London because a drink can sometimes, if in a very pricey place, it can run you 18 pounds.
0: Oh, my. Um, okay. Yeah,
1: and, and some places it can run you about 12. These are about eight pounds each. So I think that that's pretty affordable for London, even though that is an expensive drink. It's not a pub, so it's not a pint. And a pint will normally cost you about four pounds. Okay. But a nice interesting cocktail cellar door is the place to go if you're looking for a, a pint you want a pint and you want a, a different type of pub not too far again back near china chinatown is waxy's bar and waxy's little sister and waxy waxy o'connor's is the one you want there's two of them so waxy o'connor's and you go in and it almost seems like you're in middle earth the way that they have done this wood <laughs> interior it's it's strange and then in some parts of it it looks like a cathedral so it's quite interesting and you wouldn't know it just by walking by
0: and for the tickets for my play did I use the half price ticket booth in Leicester Square did I get them ahead of time
1: I would suggest zooming online doing a bit of googling and finding either some two-for-one options or some I hesitate to say Groupon because you just can never be a hundred percent on that one. But a lot of the times, you can look up the ticket prices there, and the half-price ticket booth for Leicester Square is really great, but not for the big ones such as Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm.
0: It's more when you don't care what you want to see, but you want to see something.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and and if that's the case, then go for it because you'd be surprised at some of the the availability that they do have.
0: So, so it seems like if I was going to be there and I wanted to see, I'm really into theater, I wanted to see one that I really have to see go online. If I also then I have another, another night and I don't care, but I want to see something interesting, check and see at least what's available. Okay.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And then, of course, for me, the New Globe Theater on the south side of the Thames, if you want to see a Shakespeare play, would be where I would go. I'm more a fan of Shakespeare than of musical theater, but both excellent options. How about the music scene? I want to go someplace with live music.
1: There are two places in London area and then one place up in Camden town. The first one in London that I I like to go to every now and then is the borderline, which is sort of a, well, it's like a dive bar. (laughs) It is. But uh, it has some some very interesting acts that come there and and perform. And it's sort of folky, worldy. I'm, I'm a girl from Texas and I love country and it's sort of like a, it has like a rock country feel to it sometimes. Okay. And the music is, is just really interesting and innovative and a band would get up there and I've never heard of them and they're they sound great. And it's a little bitty place. It works really well for that environment. The second place is if you're really into jazz, you want something really iconic, you go to Ronnie Scott's. That is sort of the place to say, ah, yes, I was in London and I went to Ronnie Scott's. And that's a jazz bar and all the big names have have played there. Jimi Hendrix and Herbie Hancock and Jules Holland and all all of these very, very well-known. Everybody's been to Ronnie Scott's. So if you want to be on that list, I say go to Ronnie Scott's. The third place is up in Camden, and it's the Jazz Cafe. Okay. So again, a little off the beaten path, it's not going to be the Ronnie Scott's sort of high-profile place, but it's still quite uh, interesting and different, and, and there's so, so many different acts that are there. We went and saw Martha and the Vandellas there, and De La Soul were there, but then also there's all these other quirky new acts and, and old acts, and so you have a bit of tradition and a bit of, of history as well.
0: Okay. The most quirky place you can think of to go to London... The thing that would surprise you that you'd find this inside a big city. I can think of one of, in my mind.
1: Well, you can go kayaking on the Thames.
0: You win. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is and that quirky Is that, Is that new? <laughs> I don't know how new it is, but I didn't realize how prevalent it was until uh, last year. My husband was like, gosh, I'd, I'd really like to learn how to kayak. I'd really like to learn how to kayak. And I'm like we live in london I, I don't think we can do that and then i started looking it up and oh my gosh you can just get out there it's amazing there's a place in shadwell which is sort of on the dlr line just about just east of the uh, tower tower of london oh, okay so uh, and pretty there's close a place there. there that you can take a, a course and and get on and be there with other people who are kayaking sort of instructors there's a place in pimlico which again is not too far down from parliament and that's where i did my one day course and i got to get out on the thames and i was kayaking on the thames it was pretty incredible and they have like on sundays for example they'll have a morning and and an afternoon session where on the morning when they're going with the tide they'll head up towards uh chelsea bridge and back and in the afternoon when the tide is going out then you head down to the london eye and back
0: excellent and yeah. for me, what I was thinking of was one of the surprising things that I did. I think it was in the eyewitness guide to London was a walk along the Regent's Canal. So up oh, yes. by Regent's Park and the long canal boats and such. And I actually walked all the way to Camden Locks and see the locks, but also then Camden Town and Camden Town Market, which is a wonderful stop.
1: Excellent. <laughs> Definitely, uh, Camden is is very much a quirky place. I I really enjoy going there when I when I want to do something really different. Uh, Camden is usually the thing that comes to mind.
0: And really different? Does it involve tattooing or piercing? Because I think Camden would
1: <laughs> more like more like just watching.
0: Okay, all right, all <laughs>
1: watching right. all that take place. It's just so different. <laughs> so
0: can London still surprise me? I've been there a number of times. What's new and different in London that I would be surprised by?
1: Well, you were pretty surprised about the kayak. I was surprised
0: by the kayak. <laughs> uh,
1: I think that I think that London. I mean, I've lived here twelve years now, and London still surprises me.
0: Most recent surprise:
1: the invigoration of sport okay. against the kayaking has really come into play, and the ability to do more sport and to get out there and be more active. London is really uh, embracing that, especially post Olympics. You know, for example, the the cycling. I would say even. A few years ago I, I would not have dreamt of cycling in london and now it's just such a friendly place to do that we're not quite amsterdam but they keep having doing these initiatives of go dutch and uh, harking on how amsterdam is such a cycle friendly city and right. we should be that as well yeah
0: well and it is a relatively flat city so i mean it certainly could be yeah. cycle the traffic's a little crazy best tour of london either walking tour or bus tour
1: well, I would want to say my tour. Well, of course,
0: besides <laughs> that. <though.
1: laughs> Other than me, when I first moved over here and I was studying and working part-time, I was a tour guide on the, the open top, the big bus, open top bus. And I think that that's a really great thing to do on your first day here. It's a great, so it, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Get acclimated and sort of see everything and go, okay, this is what we've seen. I got the gist and now I want to go here and here and here.
0: Well, and my kids enjoyed it because of the humor.
1: Yes, and it is. It's a very, It's a very humorous thing. But I would actually recommend a pub crawl. And okay. the reason I say that is because some people they hear pub crawl and they think oh I'm I'm not a drinker I'm I'm not into pubs and and that sort of thing and it's actually a pretty surprising tour. You you get to see London at a different time of day. You get to see Londoners kind of pretty much doing what they do is you go to the pub and you socialize and it's something that's been happening for centuries. And then some of the pubs that are on these walks are just gorgeous you have beautiful architecture to look at you've got histories and and historical references and people who have drank there before and who were there on a who lived nearby and so you can really sense a bit of normal human history that Mm -hmm. side of, of history which I find very fascinating
0: excellent well at this point we did if we combine this with last month's episode on London where we did a walking tour and we've done churches. We've been in Christopher Wren churches. We've done museums now and theater as we go to wind this down. What have we missed so much? I know, but
1: <laughs> well, you just need to stay a month. <laughs> uh, what have we missed? Well, there's always Royal siding, which is nice. If you're, if you're into Royal stocking, Stalking, not, not stockings. Uh, I don't know, you might be into that as well. Yeah, there's there's the celebrity <laughs> side of London, which you can always get either from the royals being here and there or just everyday celebrities going about, if that's an interest. There's, you know what, I, I would say markets. One of the things that we've, uh, we've stepped on mm-hmm. is markets. Markets are a big part of London. They have been for, for decades and centuries, and, and they're still very vibrant and and new ones pop up all the time, especially now there is such a, a big move to slow food and real food and artisan food and and so you really do have this wonderful plethora of food markets and, and also bric-a-brac markets. You've got, everybody knows Portobello Road Market, which yep. is on the Saturdays in the Notting Hill area. And if you're looking for just kind of quirky things and if you just want to kind of go and browse and not really have a shopping list, it's a wonderful place to spend a Saturday. My other favorite place to spend a Saturday, of course, is Borough Market. Borough Market really has has been here for over 300 years. They're doing a lot of construction to make it a better market. And when Jamie Oliver first came on the scene at the very beginning of his career, he was seen in his little show going to – borough market and picking up ingredients and whatnot so then it's become even more popular it is a madhouse on saturdays so they've extended hours to thursdays and fridays and so if you can pop by there and do that there's on sunday the columbia road flower market where you can go and buy flowers and and plants and and these sort of things and (laughs) i remember one time i went and i was "Uh, two for a fiver two for a fiver and i thought oh i don't know and it's two for a fiver oh okay I gave him a fiver. I turned around and walked away with my flowers. And I heard him say, three for a fiver, three. For a- <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so go late in the day. <laughs> but yeah, I think markets are are an incredible part of the living city that we live in.
0: Excellent. Two questions. And we've done our typical two questions last time. So we've got two different ones for you. Uh, One is a more typical question. You're standing in the prettiest spot in London. Where are you standing and what are you looking at?
1: I am standing on the Millennium Bridge.
0: Okay.
1: Not in the center. I'm standing on the south side of it. That's the
0: pedestrian bridge.
1: Yes. Okay. And I'm looking across. And not only do I see St. Paul's Cathedral there, and it's probably— seven o'clock at night, but also I can look just to the left and see my favorite steeple, which is St. Bride's Church. And I just see these two beautiful churches lit up in all their glory.
0: Excellent. Last question. When you write your London guidebook, what is the opening paragraph?
1: One of the greatest things about London is that you can make it your own city. Anything you want to do, anything you want to see, anything you want to eat, it's all here. And it's full of history, facts, fiction, and surprises.
0: Excellent. You'll have to let us know when you publish that. (laughs) Thank you. Amber, thanks so much for coming back on the show and wrapping up this two-part episode on London.
1: Thanks so much. Thank you. And uh, I think I'm off to the pub now. (laughs)
0: In news of the community, an interesting development here at Amateur Traveler. I've actually been appointed one of five official spokesbloggers for the National Pork Board, for the U.S. National Pork Board. And so I might be talking a little more about pork, but one of the reasons that they did that is they're going to do a contest this year about your dreams, and they figured some of those dreams might, in fact, be travel dreams. I don't know all the details about the contest yet, but I'll be sure to tell you when I do. I had feedback a while ago from Jeff, who wrote about the episode on Connecticut. I think the Connecticut episode left out an important region, which is perhaps the best region. The coast and center of the state are all right if you can tolerate crowds, but the northwest part from Litchfield to the Berkshire Hills is the best. There is a reason why Meryl Streep, Henry Kissinger, and many other celebrities and power brokers live in that area. In fact, you could do a whole show on Litchfield County and include the neighboring counties of Berkshire in Massachusetts and Dutchess and Columbia in New York. It is amazing what you can see in those four counties. The amount of historic sites, museums, wineries, restaurants, and backroads has taken me years to explore. Although I live in Vermont, I find myself coming back to that area often. Jeff, thanks so much. With that, we're going to end this episode of The Amateur Traveler. If you have any questions, feel free to send an email to host at amateurtraveler.com or leave a comment on this episode at amateurtraveler.com. If you have questions about your particular travel plans, I encourage you to go to the community at facebook.com slash am- Amateur Traveler, where we're trying to answer more of those now. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris2X, and as always, thanks so much for listening. I got to see one more cathedral I got to sit in one more cathedral.